Hi, you're listening to WRBH Radio 88.3 FM. This is your host of New Orleans by Mouth, Chef Amy Sins. Here in the studio today, I have Chef Jason Goodenough with Carrollton Market. How are you doing, Chef? I'm doing very well. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad that you were able to come and join me in the studio today. Um, I had the lovely opportunity to have brunch with a friend over at the restaurant and got super excited because sometimes during the week, it's hard to find places to go. Yes, we uh, recently added Thursday and Friday uh, to our Saturday and Sunday brunch lineup. So we're now open for brunch four days a week, which people have responded to very positively. Well, I love that because, first of all, New Orleans is a brunch town. Yes, We love brunch. And people like to go out to eat during their lunch times Mm -hmm. on Thursdays and Fridays and call it a business lunch, even if it's not. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) We're talking business somehow. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Even if we're talking about (laughs) someone else's business, (laughs) we're talking it. But, um, you know, having a place that we can go sit down, relax, have a conversation, but then have a good meal and know that it's not that quick we got to get you out. You know, it was very relaxing Absolutely. and very comfy. So I think it'd be fun to tell our listeners a little bit about how do you create a comfortable dining environment in a restaurant? Well, I mean, I think just a huge part of it is starts with uh, starts from the top and, um, you know, kind of quote unquote rolls downhill um, in that, you know, if the staff feel comfortable if the staff are also engaged and they want to be there and they're treated well and with respect, then I feel like that they're going to treat the guests the same way and create an environment where uh, our guests, if they want to stay, they can stay. If they want a 45-minute lunch and to get back to the office, well, we can do that too. And a big part of it is um, putting the power in the hands of our staff to kind of judge each table individually and see, you know, which way they want to go and respond accordingly. You know, some people make it pretty clear they want to be out quickly and we recognize that and we make it happen. And some people from the minute they sit down, we can tell they want to take their time and we do the same thing for them. You know, it's, each table needs to be, you know, there's, there's no cookie cutter approach to uh, how we treat our customers. And, you know, I think that's so true in the hospitality industry in that it's about reading people and understanding people. And when they come into your restaurant or your hotel or even your home, you you can tell the minute they walk in what their expectations are if you can read them a little bit. Absolutely. I mean, to me, the gold standard is Patrick O'Connell at the Inn at Little Washington in outside of D.C. And I think they're the very best at what they do. And they assign each guest that comes in a mood rating. I'm not sure exactly what their their criterion are, but uh, if they determine that they're below a certain number, then it is the mission of every member of staff to raise it above a certain number by the time they leave. And I think we don't do anything like that, but I mean, I think that's that's great. That just shows how important it is to recognize each guest's um, needs and wants and desires as far as their experience is concerned and react accordingly. I think that's such a good idea, but I kind of would love to read the papers at the end of the night on, <laughs> and, and uh, what the mood rating was and um, if they were able to uh, to change it or if they were like, this guy's hopeless. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's 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 so important. You know, I these days we're, you know, as diners, as chefs, as home cooks, We're starting to kind of want to experiment. We're Mm -hmm. wanting to do interesting things, but it's 
all about the experience. Yes. And, you know, I tell people sometimes if I have a great experience in the restaurant and I have a great dining companion, even if the food is okay, mm-hmm. I'm still having a great experience. Absolutely. But if the food is, not, if one thing in that whole trio is yes. out of whack, if the food is bad or I hate the person I'm dining with, or, you know, I feel like the server spilled a glass of water on me and now I'm cranky. Absolutely. The one thing is off in that, that whole um, triangle, it can really change what Absolutely. people are going to say. Well, you know, I, I tell my staff that it's, it's, it's all about perception and, you know, it has nothing to do with whether or not we as restaurateurs or chefs or servers or managers are right or wrong. The only thing that matters is the guest's perception of the experience. So, you know, even if we feel like we're completely in the right, we're not because if the guest perceives that we did something wrong, then we did something wrong because that's all that matters to us is how the guest views their experience at Carrollton Market. And um, now, obviously, there's nothing we can do about a dining companion, but, <laughs> uh, you know, we'll do everything in our power to make people happy. I tell I tell my staff that I want every single person that walks through our doors to uh, have such an amazing time that the first thing they want to do when they leave my restaurant is climb to the top of the tallest tower that they can find and proclaim the glory of Carrollton Market <laughs> to anyone who will listen. And that's kind of the approach we take. We just, we really, 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 we are very guest focused. Well, I can say I learned that firsthand because when I got the cinnamon roll uh-huh. from you, I was kind of like shouting it out from the mountaintops because, um, you know, there are people that have food memories. Yes. And for me, I'm a bread and gravy girl, and I told somebody this week, I said, my um, my tombstone is going to say bread and gravy gotter <laughs> because it's going to be the death of me because I could just eat bowls of gravy and bread. For me, bread and butter. Yes. My okay. favorite food. So we'll have a similar yes. tombstone. But, you know, I, I think back to my childhood, and I think about those those rolls in the school cafeteria, and I think very, very fondly of them. Um, and perhaps that's where my bread and gravy obsession started. Totally. And that's what your homemade cinnamon roll reminded me of was this like soft, delicious bread, but it had this nice, sweet cinnamon flavor. And so I was immediately taken back to being a kid. Absolutely. And that's what it is. It, I mean, it's a Parker House roll dough that we, we roll out and we it's our, our dinner rolls that we laminate almost like you make a croissant or puff pastry and then we do the whole cinnamon sugar process. But And we've had other people liken our dinner rolls to their school rolls. Yeah. It's not the first time I'd heard that. Now, that wasn't my experience, but growing up in the Northeast, but... I mean, I've had a handful of guests tell me, and I'm like, well, man, I wish I'd gone to your school because my <laughs> rolls are good. And they were good. <laughs> you know? And on Fridays, you can get a double. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Exactly. Carrollton Market, too. <laughs> well, so, you know, whenever you decided that you were going to expand your brunch um, to weekdays, and when you started putting together your brunch menu, what was your kind of thought process? Because as a person who is not an omelet girl or mm-hmm. a scrambled egg girl, I love a runny egg, but not a scrambled egg. Sure. And I got super excited when I was like, oh, my gosh, I can just have a cheeseburger. Absolutely. And I can put an egg on it because anything with an egg on it counts as brunch, including exactly. leftover Chinese food. That's true. Well, <laughs> so what were you thinking? 
I just wanted to put together the stuff that I wanted to eat. I mean, I knew certain things we did well. I knew we needed a brunchy burger. Um, and I wanted to hit some lunchy and some brunchy items, but at the same time, keep it, you know, more, I'd say, breakfast and egg focused. Um, on Thursday and Friday, though, I realized that a lot of people in New Orleans are going out for business lunches and they want a lunch. So we'll always try to have like a fish special um, as well as an entree size salad and some sort of sandwich special just to offer a handful of more lunchy items on the weekdays. Um, and, you know, that's kind of instead of expanding the actual menu, um, I also want it to be super user-friendly for my staff because everybody knows that restaurant staff notoriously do not like to work brunch. <laughs> so the menu was kind of designed with the idea that it would be pretty prep um you know, prep friendly and that we'd be able like, cause the guys, you know, my chef de cuisine works Friday. He works like 11 AM to 11 PM. And then Saturday he works about 8:30 AM to 11 PM. And then he's back at 8:30 AM on Sunday. So, you know, a lot of brunch places, they'd have to be there at like four o'clock in the morning yes. to start prepping. And that's not us. That's we, the reason why people don't. Yeah, like exactly. <laughs> so I try to make it as, as user friendly as possible for the staff, but, uh, you know, obviously, uh, deliciousness is is um, you know our deity, and that's who we're praying to, and that's who we're really writing the book for. Well, if you know, as a as a chef, as a family man, and as a you know, everybody's got to eat. When you have a choice of meals and cuisines and what you want to eat, what are you choosing? Well, I mean, French brasserie food is probably my favorite thing to eat. I mean, one of my favorite restaurants is Balthazar in New York City. Um, but if I'm cooking at home, generally, I just want it to be something easy and fast, um, you know, and my kids, um, you know, they love pasta. and I mean, they love normal kind of the kid stuff, anything crunchy. So I cook that a lot at home. Um but if I'm going out, I mean, if I go out to eat, I want to eat generally a steak, steak and potatoes. So I'm a steak and potatoes guy. Um, and that's will usually be what I lean towards. Um, and if, you know, my wife and kids go out of town for the weekend, that's what I'm going to like secretly cook myself at home, yes. <laughs> you know, which I can't always do when the, the health conscious ones are there. And I'll never forget when you say like the health conscious ones uh, for my husband and I's anniversary, um, we decided to. My, one of my favorite restaurants is Manetta Tavern oh, in New yeah, York. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And so we flew up to New York for the weekend last minute just to go to dinner at Manetta Tavern. Awesome. And I'm pretty sure they think that uh, there's a note in my open table record that says this is the crazy woman from New Orleans <laughs> because she called for a 7 o'clock reservation on a Saturday night mm -hmm. on a busy weekend. Yes. But they gave it to me because wow. I was the crazy woman from New Orleans. <laughs> And uh, I remember my husband and I had tartare. Mm, we had the closest thing to a vegetable in our four course meal was a French fry dipped in drippings from the steak. Awesome. And the wives at the other tables were staring at us, mm. and the husbands, I think, wanted to just jump and eat our steak. I believe you know? it. <laughs> I worked, you know, I worked for a famous French chef in Philadelphia, uh, Georges Perrier, and he always used to say that the best French fries are not the crunchy ones straight out of the fryer. They're the ones soaked in the beef drippings and the uh, Bordelais sauce at the end of the steak frite plate. 
And sometimes you just have to eat that when your spouse is out of town so you don't feel Absolutely. guilty. Absolutely. <laughs> you got that right. I keep the st- Honestly, I keep the steak freed on our menu. It's one of two items that never changes because I want to eat it, and that's the way I like it. So when I go to eat at Carrollton Market, I get the steak freed. It's my baby. All right. So now we know. that Those chefs, you know, they say it's hard to pick a favorite child, but uh-huh. – uh, but Sometimes we do. It's true. It's very true. And it's hard to pick a, it is hard to pick a favorite dish, but the steak freed is definitely mine. Well, um, you know, whenever you're as a restaurateur and a chef and owner, you know, as you're putting together your menu and you have the things that you're pulling inspiration from, from your career, are there certain things that are starting to inspire you that were not before? Are you branching out and learning new things? What's how, how do you go about that? Absolutely. I mean, I think half the reason that I'm a chef is the uh, extreme ADHD and the fact that I get extremely bored extremely quickly. So we are constantly trying to evolve and learn. And I think, you know, the reason is kind of twofold. One, for myself, because I want to learn new things. I want to learn how to do new things. But two, it's a way of incentivizing your staff because I just can't even fathom how you maintain the level of passion and dedication and the desire to come to work every single day and crush it, cooking the same thing day in and day out for years. So, I mean, we get to a point where if it's been on the menu for a while, we get tired of seeing it, we just go ahead and change it. And we're always looking to learn new things. We're teaching ourselves new pasta shapes. You know, I I preach the importance of critical thinking skills to my staff that we need to look at every aspect of our operation, everything we do every day and think, can we do this better? How can we do this better? How can we do this faster, more efficiently, less movement? Um, And yeah, also that we, you know, line cooks don't really make that much money. And I think there's a whole lot of equity in knowledge. And that's why I try to learn as much as I can to pass that on to them. So when they go off on their own one day, and open their own restaurants that they're going to have this wealth of knowledge to pull from. So it's like, well, I don't have any money in the bank, but at least I got a lot of knowledge in my brain. Yeah, and, <laughs> and, and the mental bank, right? Absolutely. But yeah, so I mean, I was uh, we were in London a while ago uh, for my daughter's spring break, and I had an amazing Indian meal. And so I've been on a real like Indian spice kick lately. I discovered the international market in Metairie. I don't know how. Oh my gosh, I've you been, didn't know about it? I go to Welcome Hong Kong. Welcome to the, the secret club. <laughs> it's like I go to Hong Kong market all the time, and I'd never been to the international market. And I got back from the London trip and was kind of like on this Indian kick. And my friend told me about it. And I went in there, and then I think I was there like four times in a week. Yeah. You know, and then I get back to the restaurant. I'm like, throw away the spice grinder. We're using a mortar and pestle for everything. And, you know, <laughs> my line cook's kind of like, Ah, chef's at it again, but it's the nature of the beast. It's the nature of the beast. And I I find that, you know, when you said our attention span and, you know, that happens because we get excited about things and we have the things that we love. But part of what we do is once we've mastered it, we're Mm -hmm. like, okay, yeah. All right. Now let's move on to the next adventure. Absolutely. And uh, international market, incredible adventure. So for all of our friends out there listening, you should check it out. Definitely. Also the Hong Kong market on the West Bank. Absolutely. And there's another Asian market that is right kind of by Lowe's. Um, in Metairie. I've seen their sign like on a bus stop or something driving down they Vets and I've never been there. noodle selection. Really? Just so you Ooh. know. That's just my opinion. That's so. exciting. So, We've uh, been wanting to do pad thai, a pad thai dish for a while, like a play on it. So I'm going to go. Whenever you go to a market like that, you know, one of the things that is entertaining to me is the first time I went into Hong Kong market, you know, I didn't know where what I was doing. Mm-hmm. 
And I just start like asking people, what's that? You yeah. know, because everything is written in another language. Yes. Do you ever just buy something and go, let's open it up and see what's in the can? I have a real problem with that. So, <laughs> so now when I go to Hong Kong or international, I really try to put the blinders on because I literally have like two or three shelves at Carrollton Market filled with stuff that I have bought they then get, you know, dry goods, uh, extra virgin coconut oil is one I saw the other day. And then uh, frankincense. I came across a bag of frankincense the other day. And so I was what do like, you do with that? I have no idea. But I thought, <laughs> you know what? Frankincense and myrrh. I've never actually seen frankincense, so I need to buy it and I'll figure out what to do with it later. Um, so, yeah, I have a real problem just buying stuff and not really knowing what it is or what to do with it. And then sometimes we're able to fit it into a dish and sometimes we just... I mean, honestly, sometimes we open it and taste it, and we're like, oh, my God, that's the most disgusting thing I've ever had in my life, and it goes straight in the trash. But, um, you know, I mean, that's the thing. Like, it's all about discovering new products and ingredients and stuff that we think are delicious and, and bringing new things to the marketplace. My uh, One of my chefs, she she makes fun of me because she's like, why would you buy that? And I go, to have, to have. I just need to have it. Exactly. And I, I, it has no purpose. I, I hear, just need I, it. I hear rumors of chefs that are food hoarders. And, you know, as long as it's dried goods, I think it's one thing. <laughs> well, and it's terrible because, you know, that you get it and then you put it in its sealed container and then you set it in the pantry. But then when you go through your pantry, you know, every and people, if you have spices in your pantry that are older than a year old, you should get rid of them. Definitely. Um, and then you realize Especially you have something spices. that's six months old and you go, oh, I never got to use it. Yes. I'm having that problem right now with Durham Atta flour. Oh, really? Durham flour? I bought a big thing at International Market because mm -hmm. we were making rotis. Oh, oh, okay. That, I yes. used it for some rotis. Okay. But now it was cheaper to buy the big giant one. Always, yeah. So now I have it. So now I'm like, what do I do with all this? So now I'm trying to play with baking bread with it or battering with it or whatever because you realize you don't want it. I have about a month before Durham I have flour? to throw it away. It's a um, Durham matzo flour. So it's a Durham flour that has a little bit of a wheat germ in it. Oh, interesting. So um, it's got kind of a... Um, Can't make pasta? I don't know, but I'll bring you some because yeah. I have a giant container of I'll it. I'll try it, man. We like... <laughs> I want to go get some chickpea flour and make some panisse. That's one that's been on the list for a while that I haven't done for a few years. Are there things that are kind of... You, I imagine you have things that are in your repertoire that you're doing all the time, and then you have new things that you're experimenting with. Are there things that you have retired because in the first time you tried to do it, it just was not good, and you said, I'm not going to do it anymore? Or are you one of those people that says, I am going to do it until it's right? Well, I mean, certainly I remember when I was first out of culinary school, somebody said, hey, we got an extra case of broccoli rob, and I tried to make puree of broccoli rob soup, and um, that one was immediately retired because I thought, man, there is no hope to make this palatable because uh, it was just, I mean, it was the most beautiful, vibrant green oh, color I've ever seen, but it was so bitter. Um, but no, I mean, generally, I'll I'll like to work on things till we get them right. But, you know, we have a real problem where experimentation doesn't really happen. I mean, the way that it usually works is that the dish is on the menu and we've sold at least one or two of them before we actually get to taste it in the kitchen. So it's like, all right, you know, uh, the plan is always to test it, refine it, refine it, refine it, refine it, and then put it on the menu. But the reality of it is we print the menus, we say a little prayer, and <laughs> we hope to God we didn't completely screw it up. And then, uh, and then you know, we'll refine it a little bit. But 
Fortunately, so far, we've had a lot of luck, and we haven't um, really messed anything up too badly. Well, and you're definitely kind of on a, a, a good word-of-mouth spree, and that, that seems to be working for you, that you throw it on the menu and people fall in love with it because you're getting a lot of attention lately. We've had a lot of uh, success lately, which, you know, obviously we're very appreciative of. Um, we come to work every day with the mentality that we want to be just a little bit better than we were the day before, and... Um, you know, I think that's slowly paying off for us. Word of mouth is, is a real uphill battle in New Orleans, and uh, this town lives and dies the restaurant business on word of mouth. And fortunately, it seems like, I mean, obviously, everybody always tells the chef they love your restaurant, but, uh, you know, it seems like people are, are pretty pleased with what we're doing overall. Well, I know as we approach August in New Orleans, uh, restaurants start to come out with some kind of incentives to get diners in the door. We know that August and September can be slow months for us, so... What are y'all doing as far as like a culinary menu or any specials in August? So we do culinary every year. It's uh, been tremendously successful. August is actually our busiest month of the year every year because of culinary. Um, We put a lot of thought into the menu. We spend the whole year thinking about it and looking for really, really like high quality ingredients that are cost effective so that, you know, I can still make a profit at on a $40 menu, but then my guests are walking out full and extremely happy. And with the same experience they would get any other time of year. Absolutely. You know, for a lot of chefs, and it's really nobody I've dealt with in New Orleans, but when I was working in Philadelphia, um, you know, restaurant week's kind of like a throwaway. And I think that's, uh, you know, that does a disservice to your diners because, you know, for a lot of people, $40 is a stretch to go out to eat. It is like, it is hard to pull together 40 bucks uh, or $80 for two people plus drinks, plus tip, plus tax. And, you know, it's like, I want them to get the exact same experience in my restaurant as somebody that comes in and uh, spends and buys off the regular menu. Um, you know, so we always, uh, we, we do our absolute best no matter no matter who uh, who's coming in. And our culinary menu this year, we're super happy. We're super happy with and excited about. Um, it has veal short ribs, fried calamari, spaghetti with clams and mussels. Uh, every, year we do, yeah, every year we do a tuna tartare um, that people really respond well to. And we've kind of gotten known for our volcano pork shank that we do every year. <clears throat> Last year we confit it. This year we're braising it and serving it uh, with spoon bread and I think duck cracklings, although oh. I'm not 100% on that yet. Um, so we're uh, we're getting geared up. It, I can't believe it starts a week from today. I know. It's like right around the corner. And I, know. It, I feel like, man, time flies. It, it goes sure faster every year that I get older. I know. I, I agree completely. And it's like the older my kids get, the more I'm like, man, years are flying by. <laughs> Well, with I'm going to kind of finish up. We just have a few more minutes left, but I, a question I always like to ask chefs that are here, and I think with you having kids and already having traveled, um, you, I imagine there's ideas of places and things that you want your kids to experience. So I'm going to be in a lot of trouble one day if I do win the Powerball. Hopefully it's the like 300 million one because yes. I always tell chefs, if we could go anywhere in the world and you could take your family or you could go by yourself, and the, it's to experience culture and food. Where are you going to go? Hmm, that's a tough question. With my family, I would probably uh, try to spend a month or two on a farm in the middle of the countryside in France um, with my children and my wife. <clears throat> if I were to go by myself, I would probably go to Vietnam um, or Thailand. 
uh, or Japan or all three and just kind of like work my way across Asia um, or maybe even India. Um, but yeah, I think with, with my wife and kids, it'd be France or maybe Italy because I grew up doing the same thing. I lived in London as a child and traveled a lot with my parents and just fell in love with French food, French culture and cuisine and same with Italian. Um, so I'd like my children to experience that. But then, yeah, for my own personal growth as a chef, I think Asia would be the way to go. And, you know, I feel like now there there's so much opportunity for us to have more global experiences, even without traveling, just mm-hmm. with the Internet and people and identifying places like international market. We're able to go out and experiment on our own, but to actually learn from someone who is, yes. you know, a part of that culture, exactly. whatever it is. Or, you know, I'd love to personally to go like live with some Italian grandmother for two months and learn how to make pasta like totally by hand. You know, I mean, we make pasta at the restaurant. I think we always have fresh pasta, gnocchi, cavatelli, you know, tagliatelle, whatever on the menu. But I I really think to go learn to do it by hand, not with a pasta machine, you know, uh, would be pretty incredible. I uh, I always say when I grow up, I want a Nona. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I didn't have one, but I hear from my friends they're amazing, exactly. and exactly. I need one. I know, so. I know. Well, if you will, uh, Chef Jason, if you'll just uh, tell our listeners where you're located, when you're open, let them know how to find you so they can come eat. So Carrollton Market is located in the Riverbend um, on Hampson Street, right about a half a block from where St. Charles and Carrollton intersect. Uh, we do brunch Thursday through Sunday from 10 o'clock in the morning until 2 in the afternoon. And then we do dinner. Currently, this is the last week of Wednesday through Saturday. And the next week, we're back open Tuesday again. So Tuesday through Saturday from 5 to 10. And we offer our culinary menu um, all night, every night that we're open. There are no limitations whatsoever. So from 5 to 10, uh, Tuesday through Saturday, the entire month of August, uh, we offer our culinary menu. And we actually offer the dishes a la carte, too. Well, wonderful. Well, so Chef Jason, thank you for joining me. Y'all, you've been listening to WRBH Radio, 88.3 FM. I had Chef Jason good enough with Carrollton Market here in the studio. This is Chef Amy Sins. Until next time, ciao.